0: Welcome to the Mason Jar Podcast. I'm Renee Mathis and I'm your host for this series of podcasts on mentoring moms. Whether you are a young mom in need of guidance or an older mom with wisdom to share, I hope you'll join me on this encouraging journey. Today, we are going to talk about relationships, specifically husband and wife. My guest today is Josh Krebs, a homeschooling dad from Tennessee. Josh has a theology degree from Union University, a counseling degree from Trevecca Nazarene University, and is a licensed professional counselor who works as a therapist and mental health professional. He's also married to my daughter, Katie, and is a wonderful homes- husband and father to four wonderful, well, my four wonderful grandchildren. Um, welcome, Josh. It's good to have you.
1: Thank you, Dave. It's good to be here.
0: All right. So did I leave anything out? What else do we need to know about you?
1: I don't know that you left much out. I I would say that uh, when it comes to being wonderful, I think Katie's wonderful. I try to keep up. Um, But uh, the only other things that I think are pertinent to uh, possibly our conversation today is I've also served as a pastor for a time and as an elder in a church. Um, So I've been in positions where um, dealing with relationships takes on not only your own relationship, but also helping other people deal with their relationships, both in a clinical setting, but also just in an everyday church sort of setting.
0: Right. And those are important, too. And we appreciate those of you who are willing to stand in that role and help. So thinking about mentors, those special relationships, um, what comes to your mind when you hear the word mentor? How would you define that?
1: You know, I think that when I think about mentors, one of the things that springs immediately to mind are the people that I would entrust to give me the best guidance through their behavior not just through their words, but I can look at them and I can say, now there is somebody who I want to emulate in the way that I do. things.
0: Okay. Someone who's modeling and Mm -hmm. uh, walking the walk. Sure. Um, Who would you count as your mentors?
1: Um, You know, that's a good question. I feel like I've had a lot of mentors. I've been very blessed in that. My dad certainly would be probably the chief among them. Professors at uh, college would be definitely up there. When I was 12, 13 years old, I was blessed to be at a church called Trinity Baptist Church at the time. Now it's Clifton Heights Baptist Church. There was a group of elders and pastors there who were also seminary professors at Southern Seminary. Tom Schreiner, Bruce Ware, Sean Wright. And those men, I don't know that to this day they know exactly how big of a deal it was for me to be invited in as a 12, 13-year-old into conversations that many people would have assumed were way over my head. That really meant the world to me uh, as a kid.
0: What a great example, and obviously it made a big impact on you. That's a great reminder yeah. for us to 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 remember to let our kids be in the presence of godly older men and women who will teach them and
1: absolutely, just let them be in the room
0: right, right that's good. Um, I, I know from Katie uh, telling me that y'all recently went to a great homeschool convention, and you were listening to a homeschool panel, and apparently you asked a question that was received very positively. So tell us about that experience. Sure.
1: So we were at the, the great homeschool convention in Cincinnati, Ohio. We were at a panel specifically for moms. It was question and answer time for homeschool moms. Colleen Kessler, Pam Barnhill, Sarah McKenzie were on the panel. And they allowed us to write down questions and submit them ahead of time. And I just asked the question, I'm a homeschool dad. What is the best thing I can do to support my homeschool wife as she acts as a homeschool mom? And they really uh, appreciated the question. It sounded like a question they probably don't get a lot. And they were great with giving some uh, basic practical advice, which is just ask your wife what she needs and make sure that you give her opportunities to take a break and things like that.
0: Oh, that is a good question. Yeah, I, I can imagine the moms are appreciative to hear that. So let's talk about those kinds of things like support and relationships. And um, I, I, I'm calling this episode untangling relationships. Because sure. it can be hard to sort out, um, you know, am I a mom? Am I a wife? How do I protect those relationships? How do we nurture them? Sure relationships. So uh, I, I don't think we'll have any shortage of things to talk about. So um, no, no, no. Uh, where would you like to jump in? What, what is something that you see a lot of maybe that um, if you were, were going to give some advice to homeschool dads, what would you say?
1: It's been interesting. After you asked me to be on the podcast, I began kind of thinking about what are the things that I would tell other homeschool dads Talking to Katie about one of the things that she feels like I do well and don't do well, which produced some very fruitful conversations uh, that don't necessarily need to be talked about on here, but fruitful conversations for our own marriage. But one of the things that we talked about was the fact that so many of the moms that Katie talks to, when they're talking about their husbands, they talk about the struggle of worrying whether or not they are showing their husbands that homeschooling is a valid form of schooling or that they don't have the full support of their husband behind what's going on. So one of the things that I feel like as being, I don't necessarily, wouldn't necessarily say a mentor to Katie, although I think that's part of the relationship, but just being a homeschool husband to Katie, is that really my job is to honestly and truthfully be 100% behind the fact that this is the best way to educate our children. If I'm not, really I'm doing a disservice to her.
0: Right. So, yeah, sometimes I think we, we get too much caught up in the, you know, my husband needs to support me as the homeschooling mom. And I know it, it really helped me sometimes to think of, no, I'm supporting my husband, that he is leading our family. And, and as sure. we made this decision that this is the direction we're going to go, um, he's still the head of the, the household. And uh, my job then is to support him in the way that we're educating our children. Does that
1: make sense? Sure. I think the thing that I hear so often with especially younger moms, but even a lot of times with older moms is they're doing a lot of hard work trying to prove to their husband Mm -hmm. that they're doing a good job. And I think that's where it becomes confused is I don't ever want Katie to feel like she has to prove to me that this decision we made together for our children is the right decision. Right. Certainly, there are going to be times when she's going to come to me and say, hey, this doesn't feel like it's working. Things are not going well. And there might be some times when I have to say things that are not super pleasant, like, yeah, I don't think this was this part of what we're doing was the right choice. Or, yeah, I do think we're going to have to make a change here. But that all comes in the context of the idea that we are 100% on the same page that this is the best choice. And Katie makes that easy because I, I would feel very blessed if when our children grow up if they are very much like Katie. Uh, But I think some of that comes along with the idea that if we view education as just the learning of things and not as a mentoring relationship in itself, then we can miss out on the fact that, sure, there might be someone who could teach my kids their mathematical principles better than Katie, who doesn't like math. But no one is going to be able to teach my kids why learning math is important like Katie can teach my children why learning math
0: is important. That makes perfect sense. And and as her mother, who also doesn't like math, <laughs> I can relate to that. Um, yeah, I, I know sometimes it, it can I can feel the frustration. I mean, I, I imagine I can feel the the frustration of, of a husband whose wife is, you know, Thinking this isn't working, uh, I don't sure. know what's wrong. And husbands who typically like to fix things might say, "Well, their their way to fix would be let's. You're right, it's not working. Let's just put them back in school, um, right? Or, you know, the, here comes a yellow school bus. Let's put them on it." Um, whereas that's really not what we want to hear as moms. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I think some of that goes back to what a good mentor does. A good mentor is someone who is willing to challenge you to be a better person while understanding that you have a calling that may not be something they need to change. We don't tell missionaries, oh, well, it looks like your mission work is getting really difficult. You should just come home. Like, that's a terrible idea. Why? Because that's their vocation. We've sent them to do that. Being a mom is no less of a missionary type work. And when it gets difficult, the assumption is not, oh, well, we should just give the job to somebody else. It becomes, okay, how do we, how do I support you and help you be the best version of a homeschool mom that you can be? And sometimes it could be, hey, we're getting into high school mathematics. You don't know some of these maths. We might need somebody else to come in. But the big key of education is not the fact. Facts, uh, we're reaching a point in society where if you want to learn facts, all you got to do is pick up a phone, have a first grade reading level and be able to Google something.
0: Right. And I should point out to our listeners as well, because I think I forgot to say this, Josh, you are also a homeschool graduate. You come from a family of six kids and you are all the way through.
1: That's right. All the way through. Uh, So it does work. Uh, I'm also a great example of why you shouldn't rush to fix things too quickly. Uh, because I did not learn to read till I was nine and then graduated high school two years early. So sometimes it's less about jumping in and fixing. It's when we try to jump in and fix the academics, oftentimes we miss out on the opportunity to do the work of real education, which is helping kids understand that education is a discipline and a mindset and a lifestyle. And sometimes it's going to be hard and you just keep working at it.
0: Absolutely. I heard that education is a discipline and a life, which sounds like Charlotte Mason. And I know that's someone that um, y'all, you like the Charlotte Mason philosophy.
1: Shamelessly stolen from Charlotte Mason. (laughs)
0: That's all right. Teachers just, teachers just know who to steal from. That's what it's That's right. That's right. We just need to get all the good, good stuff.
1: When we were at a talk at uh, the Greater Homeschool Convention, one of the things that I, one of the talks that I sat in was Indy Wilson talking about creative writing. One of the things she said is that the smartest people steal.
0: Okay, good. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I
1: take, I've taken that as a free license to do that.
0: There we go. There we go. Yeah. So we start with this big picture goal that, that we are right. going to homeschool, that, that it, it, there's not an option to just quit when it gets hard. Um, But that helping can look like different things in different seasons at different times. And and that one of the main things a dad can do is is help remind his wife that this is about more than academics, more than just facts. Right. There's more going on here.
1: We've chosen to do this because when we look around, I truly believe that the best person to teach our children how to be a human being and a Christian is Katie.
0: Well, and I know you, you don't, um, you're not slacking off either in that department. I know Katie gets a lot of help. Do you, as in your homeschool, do you teach any subjects or how how are you involved with the kids?
1: Sure. So a lot of what I do is what you might call emergency drop-ins. Uh, when there's a math, uh, equation, that's not making sense to anybody, or when there is, uh you know, occasionally a disciplinary issue when there are things like handicrafts, we do handicrafts or so anything, anything that involves uh, the process of using tools, uh, I tend to be the one who takes over that. But a great deal of what I do really is showing my children that even I have a great deal to learn from the person they are learning from. So sometimes I think, and I think this is true of mentors as well, that the Really, the greatest attribute of a mentor is someone who's humble enough to sit and listen and learn and demonstrate that humility to you so that you realize, hey, it's okay to not know. It's okay to need somebody to explain it.
0: Absolutely. Yes. I I had that experience with my um, Cersei apprentices this last semester and I was supposed to lead a discussion on a book and and I'll be honest, I didn't get that chapter. I really did not understand what I was supposed to be talking about. And I just, I was up front with them. And I said, guys, you're going to have to help me out here because this did not come easy to me and I'm not even sure I'm on the same page. And we had one of the best discussions ever. They got to shine. Yeah, it was wonderful, and I got to learn, and I walked away knowing more about that chapter than I did when I sat down. And um, and one of them told me, "I'm so glad you started out that way." It made me feel better. <laughs> so, yeah, we all have our we all have our struggles, and, and a good mentor hopefully can be honest about that.
1: That's right, and I think that's really how we learn most from our mentors. I would love to think that uh, that I have a great deal of expertise to offer people. But the reality is more often what I have to offer is all the mistakes that I've made. And I can say, Hey, yeah, this is, I'm just warning you now, this is not a path you want to go down because I've been down that path. and It doesn't lead anywhere. Good. I can't necessarily push you down the path you do want to go down, but I can at least narrow down the paths that are viable options for you. Okay. Yeah.
0: Um, what would you say? So a lot of this, uh, you know, some, some of this tangled up, part of the relationship sounds like it's related to communication Mm -hmm. Uh, you know one one half of the marriage being able to talk to the other half of the marriage about what's working and what's not working and in your profession what what kinds of um advice do you offer to people who who want to be better at communicating in their marriage
1: sure well the first one mystifies a lot of people when i say it but it's probably the one the thing that i have to say the most often which is Try using words. So oftentimes in marriages, we want to assume that the other person can tell when something's not right or when something is wrong or when we're happy or when things are going well. And the reality is that that's just not always true. You have to use words and you have to learn to be honest about what's going on. And that doesn't mean that you are unkind or mean-spirited in the way you communicate, but you have to be honest. And when you're asked a question, you have to be brave enough to give an honest answer. So oftentimes the communication that I deal with, even in very generally healthy marriages, is, well, I asked her what was wrong. She said nothing. And then I proceeded to spend my evening like nothing was wrong, but there was something wrong. Or I asked him, you know, I asked him if he was stressed out and he said no, but he sure seems stressed out and he sure acted stressed out. and I don't know how to fix that. The Reality is that you can't work with something that isn't said. If it's said and talked about and communicated, you know it seems like it should be obvious that communication requires you to use words. The other part of communication is it requires you to trust that what the other person is telling you is true and honest. Which means that if you don't use honest, if you don't use honest words, if you don't say what's really going on, then the other person really has no choice but to either a assume what's going on, which is generally a bad idea, or B, take you at your word. So using words and being honest, and sometimes the hardest part of that is that people don't really know how they're feeling. They don't really know what's going on. and They need, need time to tease that out. And so sometimes, oftentimes I should say, when I sit with a married couple in a counseling session, it's, okay, have a conversation in front of me and just know that I'm going to interject and ask questions where you might not think to ask a question.
0: Uh, So asking good questions is another way to communicate well?
1: Asking good questions is important and asking good follow-up questions, driving into the topic and asking hard questions sometimes. Things like, you know, okay, you say that you're upset because you feel like you're not getting as much done during the school day because you're interrupted constantly. Why is it that being interrupted makes the school day go so difficult? how can we work on having less interruptions? If we can't work on having less interruptions, then what's the option? If we're not gonna give up and we can't fix the problem, what are the options? And really diving into that, and that requires the other person to trust you enough, and this goes back to where we started, trust enough that we're on the same page and on the same team enough, that when I ask a hard question, it's not because I want us to fail, it's because I want us to succeed.
0: Mm, So that goes back to, both being on the same page and knowing that you have, you have, you can be vulnerable with that person because they want the best for you. That's right. And that's really where it kind of comes back to our relationship with our heavenly father is to to trust him that he has sovereignly ordained these circumstances and that he has this plan for us that um, we can rest in.
1: Absolutely. And mentoring is important because, we thrive as people when we're challenged to be better by people who love us as we currently are.
0: Right. But the feeling, feeling that love and acceptance, then we want to do better.
1: That's right. right. We want to be challenged by the people who love us for who we are.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Well, something else, and maybe this is related. I'm not sure. Um, One thing I see in a lot of younger homeschooling moms is fear. Um, sure. Fear that they're not doing enough. Fear that it's not working. Um, afraid that what if this is all there is and I'm going to be forever changing diapers and, and teaching teaching first graders to read? Um, it will it will never get better. So how would you how would you address some of those things? Is that common? Um, what do we do with those? Absolutely. fears that pop up.
1: Absolutely, uh, fear is a very common theme. I noticed as we, uh, as we walked through the, excuse me, as we walked through the convention center at uh, Greater Homeschool Convention, walked through the huge exhibit hall with, I have no idea how many exhibitors all selling curriculums, you could feel the fear in the homeschool moms walking through the convention. And you could tell the ones who were seasoned homeschool moms from the ones who were new because of the radiating fear and anxiety they had as they passed every homeschool booth to the point where they began to look like kind of a deer in the headlights look, if anyone walked out from their booth to talk to them. But more than that, I think just being around homeschool families, you sense this overwhelming fear that a lot of moms have and really the fear that they have. Certainly they worry about academics and they worry about, um, habits and behaviors, and they worry about all of that. Well, I think all moms worry about that to some extent. I think it's probably weighs heavier on homeschool moms because they feel like the buck kind of stops with them. But I think the other part of that is for homeschool moms is a real identity struggle there of, am I the best person to be doing this? Or is there someone else better served, better qualified, who can do a better job, who can be calmer, who can go with the flow better, who knows more, who's learned more, who can teach better Has a different style or has more information. And I think that's why really you have to drive down to what is the purpose of education? And I, you know, I'm a theology major in college and a counseling, I have a master's in counseling and all philosophy. And one of the things that's very interesting to me as Jean Baudrillard, who was a French philosopher in the 20th century, talks about this idea that education is going to become a simulation of itself. And what he means is that really education is for the training of people. And I, I'm going to give a Christian spin to his thought here, but because he definitely was not a Christian, but education is for the training of, of people in how to be people. I don't want my kids, I'm not primarily concerned that my kids do well academically because academically, the way we look at it now is primarily about the learning of facts and of being able to regurgitate facts. That's how we test people. And that's not to say that it's not important because certainly it has an impact on getting into college. But ultimately, I want my children to be good, well-rounded people. And so what that means is that do I trust that my wife, when asked the question, um, when did we drop the bomb on Hiroshima, that she can remember that it's August 6th of 1945? No, I don't know that she can remember that. But I don't know that if my kids ask, were we right to drop the bomb on Hiroshima during World War II? That is a question that I have absolute confidence in that she can answer. And so when I, when I look at these moms and they worry about this, what I think is, if you're worried, if you have fears about that, Don't try harder to do more school. Dial it back to just spend time teaching your children to be humans. And that in and of itself is a valuable enough job that who cares if they don't know their times tables by the time they're in third grade or fourth grade or fifth grade or whatever they're supposed to know them. What's important is that they understand from you that this is important. And they pick that up just by the fact that you care about it so much.
0: That makes perfect sense. I, I, hope, I hope a lot of moms hear that and are encouraged by that, that teaching them to be better human beings is, is what we're all about. Um, you know, in the classical world, we'll say the cultivation of wisdom and virtue. Um, that education is not about what you know, but how you act. Right. And, th- and that's what we really want to embody in front of our children and want to see them in turn absorb and and take with them Um, other areas, perhaps that uh, any advice that, that you find yourself giving most often or, or something you notice.
1: One of the things that I run across a lot in marital therapy and family therapy is just the idea that we're not a very good student of each other as people. That we have a tendency to think that the way that we view the world is the way that the world is, which is just not really fair. I, I think about even just Katie and I, Katie is someone who needs thoughts to be organized in a very set way for them to make sense. I have a hard time viewing the world as organized. It's kind of a mess in my mind, but I'm comfortable with that. Right. Uh, So, you know, the old saying, uh, there's a method to the madness uh, or there's a madness is my method, you know, Mm -hmm. which really is kind of how it feels sometimes. So I have to appreciate the fact that there's great value in the fact that Katie does this wonderful thing where she remembers to write things down. I am very bad about that. But there's also value to the way I view the world, which is that if you're the person that's standing in front of me, you have my undivided attention. And so there's this way of learning and balancing out the way that you view the world as how it functions and realizing that other people have a very valuable perspective on the way the world works that you need. And that's true even of our children. I, I think about uh, my oldest daughter, Emmeline, who has this fascination with broken things. I don't understand why she has a fascination with broken things, but I know that there's some valuable, redemptive, wonderful thing about the fact that she has a fascination with broken things in a similar way to the fact that I have a fascination with, like, I guess, what you'd call broken people.
0: Wow, that's, that is striking. And uh, as parents, yes, that's great. We do want to know know the people in our homes that we're sharing these four walls with. I like the way you said, be a student of each other. I mean, as as image bearers of God and created in his image, thinking about how we can see each other as a gift and and recognize those qualities.
1: Absolutely. Uh, I think one of the verses that has kind of become, in a way, a theme verse for our house uh, is Ephesians 2.10. Uh, which we've been learning in the New Living Translation, which is we are his masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ. We might do the good things he has planned for us long ago. And just think about that word masterpiece. Mm
0: -hmm. If we
1: think about our children as masterpieces, how long can you stand in a museum studying the great works of art? And when we study the great works of art, we're really not saying, well, well, This painting has done so much. Really what we're saying is, while the artist that created this is amazing, the artist that took the time and put in the work and used this wonderful skill to create something that's meaningful and connects us to a deeper truth and a deeper beauty. And that's what, for me, what my wife and children are. They are masterpieces of God and an opportunity for me to study his handyship and his workmanship And if I don't take the opportunity, I'm really missing out on one of the great ways that God has given me to know Him better.
0: Through other people. Wow, that's beautiful. So we've talked about communication between husband and wife. Um, Communication uh, maybe between parents and kids.
1: One of the things that I think has taught me the most about communication between parents and kids is thinking back on the way that my parents communicated with me and realizing how important it was that they communicate to me the way that they did. One of the things that my parents were fantastic about is apologizing. And I don't think parents apologize to their children enough. And here's why children need to know that making a mistake is not the end of the world. And the way they learn that making a mistake is not the end of the world is by realizing that apologizing is just a part of what we do. It's a part of a healthy family, is that we apologize to each other when we do something wrong. And the underlying implication there is that we're all going to do things wrong. And so for me as a kid, I think about the times when my parents apologized to me. I especially think about the times my dad apologized to me, not because my mom didn't apologize, but because as a little boy, you think your dad can't do anything wrong. And the way I learned that my dad was not perfect was not by getting older and suddenly realizing that, you know, he could be a jerk sometimes. It was because as a small child, my dad would apologize to me for things that he'd done wrong, which helped me to feel comfortable with the reality that we're all going to make mistakes. And so when I think about things like education I think I want my kids to feel comfortable making mistakes because that's the way that we learn. That's the way that this all, this whole thing happens, right? Mm-hmm. And so one of the great things, one of the great ways in which I've been mentored is by being let in on the great secret that even great people, even wise people do really unwise things. And by saying, you know what? That was wrong. I'm sorry. I was wrong to, and and in our house, we don't don't let people get away with saying I'm sorry. And the reason for that is that I'm sorry that there are children starving in Africa, but it's not my fault, right? Mm -hmm. But if I snap at one of my kids or say something unkind, that's my fault. So it's not, well, I'm sorry that I snapped at you. I was wrong to do this. That was sinful. This is not how God would have me act as your parent. And so I owe you an apology and ask that you would please forgive me. And by doing that, we set up this reality of the grace of God and the way we interact with each other. And it allows our kids to realize that we don't have everything figured out. And because of that, they can have confidence that when we are sure about something, we're sure about something because we really know. Right? Not because we're making it up. Because we don't make things up. If we don't know, we tell them. We don't know.
0: Right. But but when when you do hit on a truth that is gospel inerrant truth, then what you said is they can trust you. That's right. Because they have seen you admit when you're wrong, they've seen you talk about hard things. And when you come right down and say this is this is the truth, then it can be known and this truth can be communicated. That's right. Um, And some of that
1: I think also goes to refusing to stifle questions. There certainly are times when It's not appropriate for your children to ask questions. A great example of this is the fifth time they've asked for candy in the store, they've reached a point at which it is no longer appropriate to ask that question, right? Right. But when it comes to things that they're trying to learn and understand, one of the biggest mistakes we can make as parents is putting an end and saying, well, you've can you run out of questions, right? You're no longer allowed to ask a question about this. That's a huge error on our part when we do that. And I'm as guilty of it as anybody of saying, okay, I'm done with answering questions on this. Why? We want them to learn. And the way we learn is by asking questions. And so if my kids want to ask me questions about why God flooded the earth and get me to a point where I have no idea how to answer them, that's a good thing. I want them to, I want them to plumbed the depths of everything that I know so that they will go, go in search of further answers
0: and that goes back to that humility thing right we're willing to admit what we don't know but we're also willing to point them in the direction uh, of other people who do um you know we keep coming back to this idea that words matter and words are important even what you said about um just communicating using words and not assuming that someone knows what they're thinking to the very words we use when we apologize for something i like that i was wrong i was wrong
1: And I think along with that is something that I don't know why so many of the dads that I talk to struggle with this. Some do a great job. Um, My dad did a great job at this. But so many dads struggle to use the words and say things like, you know what, son? I'm really sorry. Uh, I'm wrong to be talking to you this way. I'm just having a really hard day. I'm really angry about something or I'm really sad about something. Or even to sometimes to use the words and say things like, son, I love you. Daughter, I love you. Emmeline, I really love you and I appreciate these things about you. I'm really proud of you. Being willing to open up and share those feelings, good or bad. Of course, I'm a therapist. I tend to not really believe in the whole good, bad division of feelings. But when we're willing to share the feelings that are going on even if we can't explain the full depth of what they're about that's good for our children to know and hear and understand that's how they learn to share their own feelings so for me when i come home from a tough day at the office which usually looks like talking to people who've who are addicted to drugs or whose marriage is about to end i'm not not going to sit there and tell my children the grueling details of a counseling session but i might say you know, again, I really love that you ask questions and that you want to talk about baseball or outer space or whatever your topic is today. But daddy's just really feeling sad about some things that I had to talk about today. And I just need a few minutes to kind of process through that. And the result of having those conversations is that sometimes they hear that language back to you and say, hey, Daddy, you know, I, really, I know we're at the park and this should be really fun, but I'm just kind of thinking about something somebody said to me that hurt my feelings. I need a few minutes to kind of not talk to anybody. Okay. Well, if you, there's anything that I can help with, you let me know. But you could, you're welcome to have some time to think through that. And we train, what, we train our children how to be good people by being good people.
0: Right? So what if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, wow, I have so much work to do. Uh, I don't feel like a good person. Um, so let's assume that the Holy spirit is at work. They are a believer and they have the resources that God has promised in his word, but still they, they have this idea that there are some things I really need to change. And, and I know that in your career, you do work with people who are in great need of change. Um, how do we address that with, with our family members? And what do you think about how people change? Is it even possible?
1: Well, I think the first thing that I always start with when it comes to, I guess, opportunities that I have to share this is the thing that sets believers apart, that sets Christians apart from really any other modality of self-change is that we're not changing because we have to change to be acceptable. We already are acceptable to God because of the work in Christ. We're changing because God has made us a new creation and we're working through the already and not yet of redemption. We are already perfect in the eyes of God. We're becoming more perfect so that we match who God has declared us to be. And so when it comes to the idea of how do we change, I do think we change, but I think we change over time. And the biggest key to change is the realization that we're not perfect and being comfortable with just saying over and over again, I'm not perfect. This is something I'm working on. This is something I'm going to have to apologize for over and over and over again. And that's okay because we have a savior who's already forgiven us for all the things we're going to have to apologize for. And then from there, I think it becomes a practice of finding those people who can look at you and understand that struggle, can kind of see the world through your eyes and give you some practical strategies on how to attack that. I work oftentimes with people who feel a great deal of anxiety. And sometimes dealing with anxiety is as simple as me teaching you how to breathe when you're anxious. Me teaching you the basic skills of calming your physical self so that you can process in your mind. And we underplay so often as Christians the importance of the physical calmness that goes along with the mental calmness.
0: Mm. I think a lot of that is
1: some of our Neoplatonist tendencies, perhaps. But so much of our emotional and mental calmness is greatly helped when we take a moment to physically calm ourselves. But then from there, it becomes testing those beliefs. So often, Christians are practical atheists when it comes to their fears. I am afraid that if I don't do a good job educating my children, they're going to grow up to be poorly educated Not functioning adults. Well, I would love to tell you that if you are just a good enough parent, your kid's going to turn out to be a well functioning adult. But it's not a one to one equation. It's not good parenting in, good kid out. Mm -hmm. I've known fantastic people who came from really awful homes. And I've known awful people who came from fantastic homes. Really, when we say, well, if I don't do this right, I'm going to mess up my child's life, what we're really saying is God is not powerful. To overcome the mistakes that I make. And so, one of the things as Christians, we have to just ask ourselves is, is that really what we believe? Do we believe that God cannot overcome our mistakes? Or do we believe that God is crafting our stories like a great storyteller? And that whatever happens, whether it appears good or bad to us, that we are his workmanship, that we are his masterpiece, and he is crafting us into what he wants us to be for his glory. And we're just going to have to deal with the fact that sometimes that doesn't look like what we think it should look
0: like. Which goes back to trust and trusting in his plan. Um, I know for some people, um, the idea that feeling like they need help or, or they need to change, maybe a professional could help them work through some of these things. Um, sure. Some people are really willing to embrace that. Others might think, well, I'm a Christian. I, I shouldn't need to get outside help outside of perhaps just reading my Bible more. Or um, could you talk a little bit about, you know, as Christians, we are created with physical bodies that sometimes can not work very well. And we, we you know, we're happy to, to go to a doctor to fix a physical symptom that's broken. But yeah. what about, what about mentally? Um, what How should we view, how should a Christian view getting help with mental issues, feelings, emotions, behaviors? Yeah.
1: I think one of the things, and I, I mentioned it briefly before, I think one of the things that makes this really hard is that oftentimes we fall into this mindset that we are souls with a meat suit. Um, that and I, and I think as much as I love and respect Lewis, I, I think he's been part of the problem with this is that I often hear the quote, I am a soul, I have a body. Mm-hmm. But God created us with bodies, and he created us good with bodies, and he created us in the image of God with bodies. And so we have to acknowledge the fact that we are bodies. Now, you can certainly get into the theological discussions of what happens between when we die and when our bodies are resurrected, and I won't go into all that here. I think the essential part of this is that God intends for us to be redeemed in our bodies. And so somehow there is a way that our bodies and our souls are communicating to each other. And what I refer to that as is the mind. And so mental health is really nothing more than trying to make sure that the mind, the communication pathway between the soul and the body, that which is physical and that which is not physical, is in good health. In the same way that if your body is malfunctioning, you're going to go see a doctor in the same way that if your soul is malfunctioning, you're going to go see a pastor. Someone has to stand in the middle there and say, okay, what if it's a little bit of both? What if it's a little bit of the soul and a little bit of the body? What if we've got brain chemistry that's off balance? Or what if we've got physical problems that bleed into this that aren't purely, that can't purely be fixed by a medical diagnosis? So I think we just, One of the biggest things that I would say is we just have to acknowledge that our bodies are an essential part of who God made us to be. And sometimes that communication just gets mixed up. And you need somebody who's trained and who understands how the mind works uh, to really produce a healthy pathway between the soul and the body.
0: That makes sense. Thank you. All right. Um, do you have any particular resources that, that you recommend or um, that, that you love that you want to sure. talk about?
1: It, <clears throat> Interestingly enough, my resources uh, on the topic that we just talked about are very limited. And by very limited, I mean I'm in the process of trying to write a resource to explain what I just told you because there don't seem to be a lot of resources out there. But when it comes to the more broad topics of communication, uh, there's a book called Boundaries uh, that's written by, I'm going to forget their names now. Townsend. Townsend. Yes, by Townsend. It is an excellent book on learning things like how do you communicate? How do you set good boundaries with your spouse, with your children, with your extended family? Just a lot of good, very practical wisdom uh, can be found in that book. Another book that I always recommend to dads, which people look at me funny when I recommend it, is "Read the Road" by Cormac McCarthy. Um, if you want to know, if you want to know why it's important to communicate with your children with words, read "The Road" by Cormac McCarthy. And uh, now I you're talking about
0: language books. <laughs> oh, Josh, that's such a great book.
1: <laughs> it is, and I think that there's a deep. I think there's a deep part of us that obviously God in his wisdom understood that stories resound with us in a way that uh, descriptive books don't. There's just something about us that needs to see it in action to understand it. Mm -hmm. And that's why we have so much story in the Old Testament. We have so much story in the New Testament. Jesus told parables, even though the parables oftentimes were more confusing to people than they were helpful at times. There's something about our souls that yearns for story and i think that's because we are a part of a much larger narrative and so so many of the books that i go to when i'm struggling are not books that tell me how to do things they're books that show me how to do things
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so that's why I, I like books like the road lord of the rings uh, chronicles of narnia if we go back to one of the things that Indy Wilson said in his talk at the great Horns good convention is that we, we don't read fantasy because it's not like reality. We read fantasy because as Christians, fantasy is closer to reality than most realism is. If we look at the old Testament, we see the first wizard duel in history. where we have a guy with a big beard and a robe, walk into an emperor's court and start performing magic tricks and miracles. Those stories match our experience of reality. So those are really, if you want to know how to talk to kids, read C.S. Lewis. He does a great job of talking to children in Mm -hmm. the Chronicles of Narnia. I think he also does a great job of talking to adults in the Chronicles of Narnia. Adults would do well to listen.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It's not just a kid's book. It's not Why just
1: not? a kid's
0: book. Yeah, uh, Karen Swallow Pryor in her book on reading well, where she devotes each chapter to a different virtue and then chooses a book to go along that models that virtue, has the road in there um, talking about hope. And, and yeah. I think, mean, wow, that's kind of a bleak story to, to choose to embody hope. But, um, you know, you look at that line, carry the fire, and you see the gift that the dad is giving his son. And, uh, oh, my goodness. It's probably-
1: I think for us, if we're honest, one of the questions that comes up constantly when I talk to people is, not not believers, is why should I bring more children into a world that has such a bleak outlook? And I think, well, you only think it has a bleak outlook because you don't have any hope. As a Christian, I have immense amounts of hope, despite being very well aware as a mental health therapist that the world has a lot of really awful stuff in it. And so I think you're exactly right. I think that's one of the things that keeps me so passionate about homeschooling is that I do have hope that my children can grow and understand the Lord and can be a part of the redemptive work of creation.
0: Well, I can't think of a better note on which to end than that. Ending with hope and joy and uh, building that into the lives of our children. So. When we think of a a mentor as a guide who helps us flourish, it can be easy to think that this means someone outside of our family. And y'all, I hope Josh has helped encourage you that the relationships that the Lord has blessed us with can help us to serve him and serve our families but his glory. So thank you for joining us today, Josh. This has been a lot of fun. Thank
1: you so much for having me.
0: All right. Take care, everyone. Goodbye.